0: Allergy season is just around the corner, and Brio, the innovative air purifier, can help. Brio quickly removes common allergens, including pollen and pet dander, and deep cleans without filter clogging, so it's more effective than HEPA. Brio's long-life filters save you money, too. Breathe easy this spring with Brio, the advanced air purifier that's ideal for every room in your home. And get 15% off Brio using code IHEART at BrioAirPurifier.com. That's code IHEART at B-R-I-O AirPurifier.com.
1: Hey, besties! As you may know by now, our patrons heard this episode first. That's one of the perks when you join our Patreon at patreon.com/slash/theMurderDiariesPod. Other perks include one bonus episode a month, a shadow in an episode, and priority when requesting a case. And don't forget, come hang out with us outside of our Thursday episodes by following us on TikTok at the Murder Diaries Pod. See you there! Hey, I'm Paige,
2: and I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast.
1: We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF.
2: You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. In the early morning hours of December 3rd, 2016, a 911 call was placed. It was reporting an abandoned 1994 gray Oldsmobile car that was left in Belmar, New Jersey's Route 35 bridge above the Shark River. Responding officers ran the license plate in their system and found that it belonged to a Michael Stern. So they gave him a call. He answered, but he's all the way in Florida. Police want to know then who had been driving the car. He responded... My Daughter, referring to his then 19-year-old daughter, Sarah Stern. This is her story.
3: You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead.
2: Sarah Lee Stern was born March 24, 1997 to Michael and Carla Stern. She grew up in Neptune City, New Jersey. Neptune City is a coastal town of about 27,000 that prides itself as being, quote, where community, business, and tourism prosper. Sarah is recalled by family, friends, and teachers in her obituary as happy-go-lucky, smart, kind, athletic, and artistically gifted. Her obituary also includes that she encouraged others to be unapologetically themselves. A motto of sorts that Sarah lived her life by was practice reckless optimism. She included that phrase often in her artwork. In her Twitter bio, Sarah includes, tries hard to succeed sometimes, artist, reckless optimist, I don't know. Sarah's artwork meant a great deal to her, and you can see a lot of her artwork on her Twitter. Her dad told the Asbury Park Press, quote, she would light up if she knew she was going to do something that would get her recognition for her art. When Sarah was just shy of 16, her mom, Carla, passed away after a long battle with cancer in February of 2013. This is when Sarah really came into her own as an artist. It's said that art was one of the ways that she dealt with the loss of her mom and the way that she processed her grief. Her dad, Michael, says, quote, her art flourished at this time. After her mom's death, Sarah went on to graduate from Neptune High School in 2015, where she had played softball and participated in the swim team. Once Sarah had graduated, she started classes at Brookdale College, where she was studying digital media and photography. According to detectives, Sarah hoped to one day leave her hometown and move to Canada. Sarah actually mentions this openly on her Twitter, too. On November 8th of 2016, she started a tweet by saying, I've slowly been making plans to move to Toronto next year. That's what takes us to not even a month later, December 3rd, 2016. A rideshare driver notices Sarah's 1994 Oldsmobile abandoned on the Belmar Route 35 bridge. We have a portion of the call that will play for you here. Before I start the call, you'll notice he refers to Sarah's car as tan. Other resources refer to Sarah's car as gray or silver. When you're looking at the pictures of Sarah's car online, there at night with a large spotlight on the car, but it definitely seems lighter in color. But it's very hard to identify. Nine one one, where is the emergency?
4: Uh, yeah, not emergency. Um, actually, on the Belmar Bridge, right after heading south, in the middle of the bridge, there's a car that's abandoned. It's off to the side of the road. But uh, the Belmar Bridge being the thirty five bridge. Uh, yeah, the thirty five bridge would be going over the going from north going south. It's a Belmar. Into Belmar, yeah. Right. Hey, did you pass the midpoint? Because uh, up to the midpoint is Neptune, and after the midpoint is Belmar. Um, so yeah, Neptune. Actually, technically, it was after. It looks like it was more on the Neptune side. So what kind of car is it? Uh, it Kind of looks like an old, beat-up, light tan-colored, like sedan. And uh, what was your name, sir? Um, I, it, so if it's okay, I'd just rather be anonymous. And this is your cell number. Yeah, I'm driving Uber and Lyft tonight, so I just figured I'd give a calling. It's kind of hard to see, I think, if you're coming the other way. And uh, was there anybody inside the vehicle? I looked, no. Okay. Unless they were sleeping. I couldn't see them by their head being up. Nobody was okay. like were in it.
2: All right. Again, that 911 phone call was placed in the early morning hours of December 3rd, 2016. When responding officers arrived, they found that the car was unlocked with the keys still inside. There was no sign of a struggle and no sign of anyone near the car. They even made sure to check the land and the water in the surrounding area to make sure that nobody had jumped or was in trouble nearby. As one might expect, the officers ran the license plates to see who it belonged to, and they found that it belonged to Sarah's dad, Michael. They give him a call, and this is around 3 a.m., he was on vacation in Florida and he informs them that the old small they're questioning him about is driven by his daughter, Sarah. By 3.30 a.m., Michael had packed up, gotten in his car and left Florida, heading north back home to New Jersey. With this information of who was driving the car, investigators went to Michael and Sarah's home. They found that the door was unlocked and the lights were left on. According to Detective Brian Weisbrot with Banmouth County Sheriff's Office, there were no signs of forced entry. Investigators moved forward and they searched the interior of the home. They found no further indications of Sarah or anyone else being in the house. This is where Michael mentions that he really started to worry that something happened. The door unlocked like that with no one home just wasn't normal. These worries only grew as it was discovered that no one, not her friends, grandmother, no one, had heard from her in over 12 hours. Michael told Paula Zahn that this wasn't normal for Sarah. Quote, she would have been in contact with somebody and now it's going into the next day and still no response. It's around this time that Sarah was officially considered missing. Her case labeled a missing persons case. As Michael tackled the 15-hour journey back to New Jersey from Florida, law enforcement kept him updated. During this drive, he's left to rack his mind over what could have happened to his daughter.
1: All right, before we get any further into the case, let's recap. We have an abandoned car, No signs of a struggle, an empty home unlocked with no sign of forced entry, and no Sarah. What sort of theories were developing at this point?
2: Assistant prosecutor Chris Decker told Paula Zahn that, quote, the first
1: theory was just
2: based upon circumstance, and that would be that she would have jumped off the Belmont Bridge. Prosecutor Chris Graumacchione echoes this to Palazan, stating that, quote, when we open missing person cases, there's always an internal aspect of us assessing whether it could be a suicide.
1: And in Sarah's case, whether it's a suicide and if she's in the water below the bridge.
2: The water below the bridge is exactly where the investigation started, according to the assistant prosecutor in his interview with Zahn. Dive teams were deployed. The state police and Coast Guard assisted in the search as well. I should also mention that Michael and his mother, who Sarah called Grandmom, weren't agreeing with the suicide theory. Michael had spoken with Sarah the whole time he was in Florida. She sent texts like, Hey, Dad, good afternoon. What day are you coming back from Florida? With a streak of cute emojis after that to represent Florida and his road trip back. And another text, she updates her dad on what she was up to. Just walked Buddy. Buddy. She went on further to explain that she was then going to be going to Applebee's and she asked him how his time was at Disney. That was on December 1st. Michael says that not a thing seemed to be out of the ordinary. He also describes that Sarah was, quote, very happy, excited, a typical teenager at this time in her life.
1: A little earlier, you mentioned that Sarah wanted to move to Canada. Were the investigators considering this, that maybe she just left somewhere else?
2: They did. In fact, her friend Liam, a longtime friend since first grade, mentioned that the day she was last heard from, he spent with her helping her pack. He says the pair had taken a big gray storage container of her things to a neighbor's house. In full transparency, it's not really explained why this neighbor's house, although Liam cites trust issues with her dad. Nothing and nobody else in the resources confirms
1: that. Who knows? Maybe her dad wasn't in favor of her moving so far from home to another country or just normal parent to teen tension. It's not our business, right? Right. With that aside, Liam tells officers that she had
2: stored some of those containers at his house as well. Quote, she's just been trying to get stuff out of the house. A neighbor from across the street's security camera footage confirms this. It shows Liam on December 2nd arriving to Sarah's house. It shows him and Sarah moving the gray storage bin across the street to the neighbors. And after moving that storage bin, it shows Sarah and Liam leaving, and Liam explains that they were leaving to go grab a bite to eat at the local taco bell. And then after that, Liam had to go to work. The taco Bell security footage also confirms this part of Liam's story. The pair arrived at the restaurant's drive-through window around two twenty pm. on December second. With Liam's story checking out, it left investigators wondering, did Sarah want to leave while her father was out of town, to head to Canada or somewhere else for that matter? With Liam's story checking out, that's what left investigators wondering what you were just asking about, Natalie. Did Sarah want to leave while her father was out of town to head to Canada or somewhere else for that matter? That theory dissipated quickly, though, because in her room, they found her social security card, her passport, and both Canadian and U.S. currency. This is clearly stuff she would have wanted with her if she were moving out to Canada or not.
1: Can you tell me a little more about what happened once this theory fell through? Where did law enforcement take the investigation?
2: Investigators were in luck because Sarah's bank called with some interesting information. She'd been a longtime patron of Kearney Brank's Neptune City branch. The manager and tellers knew Sarah well and they loved her. They called investigators to say that Sarah had been there on December 2nd, the day she went missing. Here's a clip of how emotional they were reiterating this to the court.
3: And she said to me, I'll see you later and I blew her a kiss,
4: waved goodbye.
1: And what did you say to her? If said anything. said I love you, because
4: we have that friendship. So I did ask me what time we closed and it, I told her six o'clock and she said I may be
1: back. Did, what was her Demeanor-like, was she laughing? Was she crying? Did she seem upset? Nope, she was smiling. Was that out of the ordinary for her? No. Mm-hmm. I have no
2: further questions. Video surveillance and Sarah's sign-in to visit her safety deposit box confirm that she had visited the bank. However, that's all it confirmed. It didn't confirm what she did while well, she attended her safety deposit box. There wasn't a log of any particular transactions, if that makes sense. Investigators no doubt take interest in this safety deposit box, and when they open it, they're blown away. It was filled with $25,250 worth of cash. Sarah's dad wasn't even aware of this money. It was also in really bad shape. It was old and
1: disintegrating. This has got to be another sign that she didn't just up and leave. That's a lot of money to leave behind. Investigators would agree with you. They were back to the theory that she
2: took her own life or maybe someone took her against her own will. The same security camera I mentioned from across the street shows Sarah leaving her house at about a quarter to midnight, just as December 2nd prepared to become December 3rd. Now investigators wanted to know, where was Sarah going and what happened between a quarter to midnight and when they arrived to her abandoned car around 2.50 a.m.? They also wanted to know where she had gotten all the cash that they found in her safety deposit box. Assistant Prosecutor Chris Decker says, quote, They'd been informed by a couple people about this money. Investigators were then told that Sarah had found that money in the attic of her parents' second home after her mom passed. It's believed that Sarah's mom left it there for her to find after her passing in 2013. Again, Sarah's dad was not one of the people that told investigators about the money because he had no idea about this money, that it existed, or that Sarah had found it. Now for a word from one of this week's sponsors.
0: Is your daily grind getting you down? A ThermoSpa's hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment.
2: One of the people that Sarah did tell about this money was her friend, Liam, the friend from earlier that helped her move that storage bin and then went to Taco Bell with her. Liam divulges to investigators that Sarah told him when Sarah's mom died she left her money aside from the money that she had found and that her dad sort of took control of that money. This then became a source of contention between the
1: two, according to Liam. While we're talking about money, how much money are we talking about exactly?
2: That may be something that only Sarah knows. Investigators had heard everything from $50,000 to 100000 according to the assistant prosecutor.
1: Can we back up a little bit? My mind keeps going back to the car, They mentioned surveillance footage from across the street of Sarah's car leaving just before midnight. But now I'm wondering if they were able to confirm if it was her driving.
2: It was too dark for detectives to confirm who was driving the car, but Detective Weisbrot says that they believed it was Sarah. What investigators were most concerned with at this time, honestly, was the Shark River. They had most of the resources employed there searching for any sign of Sarah. They were also still speaking with those close to Sarah, Preston, a close friend and past prom date of Sarah's, told police that Sarah did struggle with depressive episodes. He told them that within the past year or two, Sarah had struggled with suicidal thoughts too. This, of course, confused investigators because Sarah's dad was maintaining that everything was fine with his daughter while friends were mentioning tension at home and now depression. Weeks pass and it's becoming more clear that missing Sarah was less and less likely to make it home. Michael Stern recalls that, quote, hope became desperation. That desperation for his daughter and answers wouldn't need to last much longer, at least the answers portion. Two months after Sarah had gone missing, they got a lead from a tipster that his son had information about her disappearance. More than that, the tipster was a friend of a Monmouth County detective, Michael Bonanno. This obviously changed the course of the investigation a friend called Detective Bonanno to get advice about information he said his son had, and he asked what would happen if his son opened up to investigators about it. Obviously, this family was nervous about what would happen if he came forward. The son in question was a 19-year-old named Anthony. Anthony says he's worried that Sarah was murdered because a week before she went missing, a friend of his told him that he was going to murder Sarah and how he was going to do it. Anthony went on to tell investigators that the plan this friend had was to rob Sarah, strangle her, throw her over the bridge, and make it look like a suicide. You may be wondering, why didn't Anthony go to the police then? Why didn't he not call 911 or help or at least right away once Sarah went missing? Well, at first, Anthony thought there's no way this is actually going to happen. It is his friend after all, and they had been drinking together. And at the end of the conversation, the friend closed with, quote, Wouldn't that make a great movie? It lightened the mood and Anthony let it go. I'm sure our listeners are desperate to know who this friend is. The friend was none other than Liam McAtasney.
1: And this is the same Liam that was with Sarah that day.
2: Yeah, the very same Liam that was with her the day she went missing and told investigators, quote, I'm one of our closest friends. Prosecutor Grandma Keone says in his interview with Paula Vazan that everything Liam told them up to this point, which was that when he left for work from being with Sarah that day, it was just like any other day, quote, like, see you later, I gotta go to work, end quote, was a complete ruse. Now it was just about getting Anthony to help law enforcement to get a confession from Liam. As Detective Weisbrot put it, they asked Anthony if they could monitor and record his communication with Liam, And that's exactly what happened. At first, the communication between the two via text and Snapchat were, quote, benign, according to Detective Weisbrot. But then Anthony asks Liam to borrow money. Liam asks Anthony how much he wants, and then the conversation turns to text. Liam says, I need to tell you in person. I'm not trying to be a You understand how serious my situation is. I can't say anything on my phone. And another more startling message, Liam says, My cash is low quality. They won't take it. That's all I can say. Low quality, just like Sarah's money. Detective Weisbrot says that the fact that Liam described the money like this was very significant to their case against him. They kept on his heels through Anthony, and eventually Liam says, Come see me in person sometime, on the phone, and later in text. Come through, and we'll talk tonight. Law enforcement jumped at this chance. It was an opportunity for them to get Anthony in a wire and a recorded confession from Liam.
1: On top of that, it's really a test to Anthony's credibility. It proved his
2: motivation in coming forward was simply to help, that what he told them was truth, and on top of that, it definitely cleared his name. With Anthony's safety at the forefront, 15 surveillance vehicles were in place, ready for Anthony and Liam's meeting. Law enforcement had Anthony's car set up with a hidden camera. Anthony was, of course, also wired. When Liam stepped into Anthony's car that night, it was go time. Liam starts the meeting by feeling Anthony up to see if he was wearing a wire and an apology for doing so. Ironically, he missed the wire that Anthony was wearing.
3: You can't blame me for doing this, right? I gotta see the airport real quick, all right? No disrespect. I'll show you. No disrespect, okay? Yeah, I got the FBI on my
2: ass, too. What, what oh, yeah. A lot. After the portion of the conversation that you just heard in that clip, Liam goes on to describe what happened that night. This next clip we're going to play is a few minutes long. Liam is still in the car with Anthony, and again, he describes what happened and how he murdered Sarah. You're about to hear him confess to murder. Alright,
3: so I'm hanging out with her. She has, we, we went to the bank, she took some money out, not all of her money. We're counting it out, and then she goes to walk out the front door. I took her out, dragged her. My biggest problem was the dog, and her dog laid there and watched as I killed her. Didn't do anything. Dog. What, what kind of dog Yeah, what kind of dog is that? It's like something was it a big It bag looks bag? like a beagle, but it's like the size of a great dane. Jeez. Nobody was there? No, nobody was there. Even her dad wasn't there. He was in Florida. Yeah, you said that he was Yeah. Florida. So I have to leave. I dropped my phone at Sarah's house. My phone was at Sarah's house. Like Wait, you left your phone? Yeah, I lost it. I couldn't find it. I had to go to work. I had timed everything out so that... Oh, what did you, why did you take your phone? Did you left it in your pocket. Dude, what were you doing? Strangling someone? I couldn't find it, dude. It ended up being out in the driveway. Oh, it must have dropped there. It must have dropped when I was crawling to get in the car. But I took her out, dragged her into the back, put her in the bathroom. And then I had to go straight to work. So Preston came over, took the body, put it in the bushes. And then I was at work. I had a full, like, night of work, except I left work a couple times, which looks sketchy. To look for my phone, though, which is a reasonable, like, thing to do. Yeah, you don't, look your phone, you don't Which is kind of, like, me losing my phone is kind of a good thing, because the cops are like, oh, he's hanging out her. he lost the phone. his phone, he's going back and forth between his house, looking for it. Hmm. And then I get off work that night, go straight over. The person I go over to her house, take her safe, bring that over to my house before we do anything. And we take her body out of the bushes and drag it over to her back fence. And I crawl, get into her car, and I back up. She had there's a security camera across the street. So I had to back. I had to act like her. I watched her every time she backed out. She does the same thing. So I backed out exactly like she did and drove off in the truck. No, I put her in the passenger seat of her own car. And then Preston and I had these walkie talkies to communicate with. We just use them again. So I was driving. And I had her buckled in in capacity so she looks like she's just sleeping. She's just sitting up and my my plan was for me, I underestimated my own strength and how much of that body would weigh. Because it's lit it's weight. Yeah. I got up on top of the bridge to throw her off. My my plan was I was gonna throw her off, run over, jump over the divider and get in the person's car and i go up open the door unhook her pull her out start dragging her to throw her over and then cars start coming up i see like headlights coming i try to get her over and i can't leg up like the weight from her body like made me fall and my leg like went up so now i'm tripping my up, and there's three cars coming up so i grab her body I had superhuman strength and I threw it in the car and I picked it up. And her feet were up here and her foot, her head, her head was down there. And three cars go by and I'm losing my because that easily could have been a cop. And then, I mean the police station is like right there. Yeah, yeah. And then the person comes over the bridge, goes around, and makes a U-turn, comes up behind me. The two of us throw the body over. And then we could crap. Oh, so you needed help I needed you. help, yeah. Damn. But She's not even that big a girl, right? No. I'd say 160 pounds, max. So you just counted out and went behind her, just whatever, looking? Mm hmm. She likes screaming and sh- Or you had her so tight that it was like. I pretty much hung her, like. I just, I picked her up and had her just, like, dangling off the ground, and she just pissed herself, and said my name, and then that was it. And it took me a half an hour to kill her. I thought I was going to be able to choke her out and have her out in, like, a couple minutes. I choked her out, and then she was just laying there having a seizure or something. So then I just, I had to... I got a shirt and I just shut it down her throat so she wouldn't throw up or anything and held my finger over her nose and set a timer. That's the only time I had my phone. And it took me like a half an hour after I hit start
2: on the timer. You heard that right. Liam strangled Sarah to death, essentially hanged her with his bare hands. He then, with the help of his friend Preston, who by the way, reminder, Sarah went to prom her junior year of high school with, put her in the passenger seat of her own car, drove out to the bridge where the two of them then threw her body into the water, never to be found again. The motive? Money. The money Sarah's mom left her.
3: The worst part of it is I thought I was walking out 50 grand, 100 grand in my pocket. She had one safe and she took money out and she only had Ten grand. And this money, I don't know if it was burnt or something. Old money. Terrible quality. I
1: don't even know if I could put any of it in the bank. Thankfully they got Liam recorded. Slam dunk. You would think. But unfortunately
2: they didn't have Sarah's body. This stopped them from being able to prove that she was really dead and that Liam's confession was true. They needed to confirm Liam's confession further in order to make their case. That's when they brought in Preston in February of 2017. They weren't sure if he would, but he turned on Liam with very little issue. Investigators told him, Liam, quote, killed Sarah. We know you know that. Preston shook his head in agreement and he said he did it for the money. That was it. Preston had now confessed it was true. Liam killed Sarah. The assistant prosecutor, Chris, says he never had seen anybody confess that quickly, ever. The information that Preston gave included where and how they threw Sarah's body into the river from the bridge and where in the woods Liam had hidden the money. Liam was subsequently arrested and charged with Sarah's murder, giving no reaction at all. He refused to cooperate with law enforcement, but they knew they had him. When he was arrested, he literally had the key with him to the safe that Preston had led police to with Sarah's money in it. It was on his keychain. On June 28, 2019, he was sentenced to 18 years in prison. He went ahead and took a plea deal, and within that plea deal, he agreed to testify against his murderer friend, Liam. In February of this year, an appeal he made was rejected. Preston will be eligible for parole in May of 2013. Just one week before Preston's sentencing, Liam was also sentenced. A jury had found him guilty in February of 2019, and on June 21st, 2019, he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole.
1: Wouldn't not having Sarah's body make his conviction more difficult, though?
2: The way assistant prosecutor Megan Doyle put it was that it played in their favor, because the very reason they didn't have a body was because he, quote, destroyed it. An ocean engineer confirmed for Paula Zahn that there was really no way for Sarah's remains to be found because she would have been seven miles offshore within 24 hours. As a reminder, the Shark River has a pretty active current and it leads right into the Atlantic Ocean. Sarah's body hasn't been able to be put to rest, but about 1,000 people attended a memorial and life celebration for her. It was held at the Neptune City Community Center on July 15, 2017. The community center wasn't just filled with people that wanted to pay their respects to Sarah, but it was also filled with Sarah's photos and artwork. To the Asbury Park Press, Sarah's dad said that it's no consolation that the criminal trial is over now, that it's behind him, because he hasn't been able to give his daughter a proper funeral. Quote, it leaves a big empty hole in my heart and my soul. There's understandably a huge hole in her father's heart that may never heal. He says keeping Sarah's memory alive helps though, and we sure hope that we were able to do that with this episode. Another way Sarah's memory is being kept alive is through the Sarah Stern Scholarship. This scholarship supports high school students and college students who are furthering their careers in the arts and media. You can donate to the scholarship through the GoFundMe link that we have in the show notes. And that's where we'll leave this episode. Until our next episode, you know where to find us at The Murder Diaries on TikTok and Instagram at The themurderdiariespodcast.com.
1: And if you haven't already, go
2: ahead and read us five stars and five stars only. It helps us keep the good content coming. And until then, stay safe. Bye.
0: Is your daily grind getting you down? A ThermoSpa's hot tub may be the solution just a few minutes under those powerful soothing jets and all your stress seems to melt away like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better but sleep better too. Call 877-861-4672 now and for a limited time save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old.